Welcome today to the Learn with Lowell podcast. I'm your host, Lowell. Today we are joined with Layden Jurassic, host of the Neural Implant Podcast. He's gone from being the kid looking through the glass to now being in the field, doing research, leading masterminds, and being a part of the neurotech revolution. Today we dig into neurotech, brain-computer interfaces, peripheral nervous system interfaces, Neuralink, and more. If you like this type of unedited, long-form content, please like and subscribe because every bit helps. Thank you everybody for subscribing, liking, and commenting thus far. It's a lot of fun to engage with you all, and I... I really just want to say a quick thank you. But we're going to put out two to three new episodes every week as well. Let's stay curious and learn about Layden, Neurotech, and the future of brain computer interfaces and peripheral computer interfaces in this episode of the Learn Full Show. Where, where is the action at in the BC, BCI space, just in the United States, like just like narrowing it down because there's stuff going on all over. But where, where's the action? Who are the main players right now? Uh, well, I'd say it's the United States. <laughs> <laughs> so this was this was actually something that I I learned the hard way as you know I was I was trying to uh, do the work in in uh, Europe and in, in Germany especially and there are great companies in in Germany uh, and great labs and everything like this but just the the with the sheer number uh, I would say more than half is in the U S you know I'd say maybe even two thirds is in the U S but um, basically in terms of the location so so you know I'm, I'm working on a uh, neurotechnology, uh, bioelectronic medicine, which is kind of um, uh, medical devices implanted into the nerves to not control the the, the brain, but you know other peripheral nerves and uh, especially organs of the body. Um, so, uh, area that's really good is the Feinstein Institute in New York, and they're they're kind of specializing uh, in this. But otherwise, places like Case Western, uh, University of Washington, where I'm at, to University of Florida, is a uh, you know. Some of the best places uh, for this, and, and of course, uh, there's there's many more. It depends what flavor of neurotechnology, BCI, everything that you want. Is there? So I I think something I see a lot on your podcast and when you're guesting elsewhere is this discussion that over the last like five years that more money's been going into this industry, which is good. Um, I think even I think even NIH has been pumping a little bit more in as well. What is as have we seen an uptick in innovation? Like, are you seeing a lot more innovation happening now with all this influx of money? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think, uh, of course, yeah, like it, it's definitely getting better. I think it's it's kind of to do with uh, uh, computing power and you know just better designed, just just being able to with material science and everything like this, be be able to design new uh, electronics, hardware, and electrodes, uh, materials, everything like this. So uh, I think there is there's a lot more uh, going on. And then, you know, obviously things like uh, cochlear implants and other like pacemakers, the, the, the tried and true things that, that people have learned to trust uh, have also kind of paved the way a little bit in, in terms of this kind of stuff. And it's a little bit more, um, you know, similar to that. You could be like, oh, it's like a pacemaker, but but for this. So things uh, were, were especially well known for uh, University of Florida for deep brain stimulation. And uh, this is like a tried and true method to um, cure and help uh, Parkinson's disease, you know, shaking, essential tremor. And really, it's, it's amazing how it works. I've, I've seen these surgeries. I've actually uh, been in the surgery suite. I've seen people's brains like up while they're alive and everything. It's crazy. But uh, I see the before and after and it's it's amazing. It's like literally somebody, it's almost like somebody's faking it before they're, they're like shaking a lot, you know, and, and, uh, and then afterwards they stop and it's like, was that real? <laughs> Are you faking that? Because that was just an amazing, uh, amazing transformation that I saw literally just before my eyes. Is there any piece of technology right now that that makes you feel like it's magic, like the deep brain stimulation? Is there? It's kind of like the as Isaac Asimov quote, where it's like anything significantly advanced, or just like surprising, I guess. Um, I was, yeah, that would uh, that make makes it magic. I don't know why I'm saying that, Goofy. Yeah, uh, I mean, part of that, yeah. So there's, I guess, two parts of that answer. Like, uh, part of the deep brain stimulation on the deep brain stimulation side, it's really cool because they're also looking at it for. Uh, kind of these almost like addictive behaviors and mm. it seems to be very good for that too it just like hits the right circuits the right neural circuits where you can calm a lot of these things down so like gambling sex addictions um obesity like food addictions it can it can really help with that a lot of that kind of stuff too um really? wow, it's, okay. it's more of these extreme cases versus you know like oh i'm just eating too much mcdonald's but like if you if you really have a problem that uh, a compulsive uh need to do it so it really helps with that uh, but another thing that's that's really uh, fascinating and, and kind of unbelievable, I would say, is uh, you know Kevin Tracy's work again at Feinstein Institute in New York, and they found that inflammation, so like arthritis, this this kind of stuff, 
uh, can be improved with neuromodulation and actually vagus mm. nerve stimulation. So uh, basically stimulating on the neck and uh, you basically get rid of uh, any autoimmune disorders or inflammation that you might have. And so that that to me is kind of magical is that this this almost, to me, what, what almost seems like a blood reaction, like the blood is reacting to something mm-hmm. and uh, causes inflammation, uh, but it looks like it's it's uh, generated by the nerves as well. And so you can turn it on, turn it off. And there's been a lot of patients that have been, that have been helped with that very you know, again, very drastically, like from debilitation to, you know, having a normal functioning life. Does that fall under the umbrella of peripheral? I would consider like peripheral brain computer interfaces, like, like that type of technology, that type of, um, biofeedback. Exactly. Uh, peripheral nerve stimulation and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think essentially it's not going in the brain and then, and and somewhere else in the body and the nerves and then, uh, that would be that. Yeah. But, but, uh, definitely like a lot of these things are less of an ask in terms of surgery. It's not like, Oh, I'm cracking. Hey, let's, let's open up your skull and I'm going to put something inside. You'll be like, "Uh, I don't know, but like, Hey, let's put something into your, um, you know, next to your throat, you know, and, and, uh, implant there. That's, that's a little bit more reasonable, I would say. And, and, uh, uh, still kind of a big ask, but, but if you, if your need is big enough, then, then, uh, you'll accept it. What is it? What does it actually look like? What, how significant of a device is it? Uh, there's different, there's different, uh, designs, of course, like each company, each, you know, lab and everything like this, they have their own ways to do it, but uh, it can be as, it can be a nerve cuff. So, so basically, uh, it's just like a little like hand that, that wraps around the nerve, uh, that that's surgically implanted. And then a lot of times they have a, uh, what's called an implantable pulse generator. So it's like the, the computer and the electronics of it. And it's basically like a, like a, uh, the same one that's used in, uh, pacemakers. So I don't know, maybe the size of like one of those big, you know, candy chocolate coin things, you know, but maybe like three of those, uh, stacked three of those, you know, so, um, I don't know, like, like a seashell size and, uh, that that's implanted into your upper chest kind of by your clavicle. And, uh, you know, so, so it can be completely, um, you know, implanted inside of your body, or you can even wear like wearable, uh, cuffs of wearable technologies, like, like almost it'd be like a little, uh, collar that you might wear and it, it really works. So it, it, uh, any type of form factor essentially. And, and the, and the data on this is like, it's significant, significant in terms of an improvement on even on something like that. Yeah. I mean, obviously the implanted ones are more, you know, more significant because you're, you're actually targeting the nerve and, uh, it's a little bit more directed. The vagus nerve does connect to a lot of different things. So you can have different side effects. So, uh, a big one, for example, for the vagus nerve is, is, uh, you get kind of like a hoarseness or like kind mm-hmm. of a scratchy feeling in your throat and, uh, maybe, maybe a little bit like trouble speaking or, uh, but, but, you know, it's not, it's not anything unreasonable. It may be like a small sickness or something like this or a cough or like almost like you're feeling a cough come on and uh, kind of a tingling, but uh, yeah, it's significant. And they, they've had a lot of success with it. Obviously it doesn't work for hundred percent of the people, but I think with more specific electrodes and, and more precise uh, ways to stimulate, I think that would be improved. Is there an Avenue um, like a, an, like a, like almost a, uh, I think of this in a way of like a pillar of technology in BCI or uh, PCI. Uh, peripheral computer interfaces um, that you feel like doesn't get as much attention, but that if it had more innovation in it, like like uh, it could be, for instance, the the actual material that the electrode is made out of. There's a I was reading some people that are working on a way to make it um, less reactive to the body, so it'll stay in longer. Um, but that I think I imagine there's a lot of people trying to reinvent that will or like make that will even better. Are there areas that you find interesting that most people are not paying attention to? in the space that you think could have more attention? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing that I'm like, you know, pulling out my hair where I'm just like, Oh my God, Mm. why doesn't everybody just do this? Uh, my, my answer, I guess would be, uh, the best way to do it would be to make things smaller because after a certain size, uh, the body, it becomes biologically invisible. So the body doesn't see it, doesn't see it as a threat, uh, because in nature you would never experience, you know, some kind of threat smaller than a certain size. And so a lot mm. of times there are like biocompatible materials or, you know, they may want to make it softer or blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I think, I think just making it smaller is, is the actual thing. So, uh, is the key to 
to uh, a lot of these problems. Um, that's being done <laughs> a lot, actually. So it's nothing. It's nothing too new. And uh, you know, honestly, I really like the approach of Neuralink. Elon Musk's Neuralink is basically having these really, really thin threads that are sewn in. And I think it's kind of the um, you know the ideal way to do things. And and it's been shown that uh, you have really good results when you do something like that. You have a very, very thin thread that's sewn in, and then the body can can heal that that path of where that needle had gone. Um, but then that 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 very thin thread stays in there. And so, yeah, I mean, basically. It's not. It's not. You know, novel or new. If Neuralink is doing it right, I can't be like, oh, I did. I I like it. It's not cool or it's unknown or something. Obviously, because Neuralink is doing it. But but I I don't know. I think that that is the best approach actually. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I'm not as deep as you are in the space. But when I was looking at Neuralink, I like like their whole architecture seemed extremely beautiful in the sense that it's you know it's basically like a hockey puck that you stick on your head, but it's an outpatient procedure. I love that. You know, looking at paradromics as a as like a contrast like you have to have surgery to put that in and it's really well embedded into the body i think the new their current architecture is like it goes all the way down from the neck into like your chest kind of like a pacemaker where uh neuralink for the most part i think it's just like a little hockey puck that sits on your head they can just pop it in and out and i so i imagine like the the upgrading of the sensors and stuff like that that like the you'd ha you'd have less you know obsolescence of technology because you could upgrade it but also at the same time it's easier to get into a wide variety of people like how many neurosurgeons exist in the united states like the the cost of getting a neurosurgeon's time like i imagine that's like a quarter million dollars just to get like an hour of their time and that's a uh assume there's it's only gonna take an hour so you can just see like that uh logarithmic uh increase and in just getting it out there to people and then your point as well the like sewing it in there the fact that they're using like their tesla experience of building machine learning to specifically like thread through to cause as least the least damage as possible to get the most bang for their buck for in terms of like neural connectivity. I thought that was really elegant. I think um, paradromics to some extent is kind of like uh, they they have like a, a crap ton of uh, of uh, sensors and uh, and it's kind of like well, they're just like going to ingest it all in. Um, but the, I don't like it's like really cool technology on paradromics part, in my opinion. And so I'm curious to hear your, your thought on this. But like it's not all that scalable in terms of like getting into people in a mass way where uh, Neuralink seems very scalable and controllable and upgradable, which I think is all really good things, especially if we're having um, Moore's Law every couple, like 18 months or whatever. You can imagine, like, you get something put into yourself in February, by the end of the year, uh, you know, you can't keep up. Like, there's something better that would have helped you even further, and you have to go under surgery again for paradromics uh, architecture. But I'm curious, how, how do you compare and contrast between those two architectures in your mind? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we'll see. We'll see how how well the uh, the Neuralink stuff actually pans out, and if they can do that hockey puck uh, size thing, and and you know, th there are some issues with that. But uh, definitely, I, I think that is the correct approach. And I mean, you know, having uh, an extremely skilled surgeon, of which there are not, you know, infinite amounts in the world. You know, there you might only be able to count it on one or two hands in the world. Uh, and yeah, so it's, it's much better to have like some kind of automated process like what Neuralink was um you know proposing is, is some kind of robotic thing where you just click one button you know and and some you know decently skilled nurse or something like this somebody you know who knows medical things but but doesn't have to be like a, a neurosurgeon trained for two decades or something like this in in the art i think that uh, it's a much better way to do things and it's also much cheaper you know so uh having kind of this automated process it's a little bit like a like a lasik eye surgery you know and mm -hmm. and uh, where it's it's a little bit automated and you know that that's a few thousand bucks which is pretty reasonable but a deep brain stimulation can be 100 dollars and uh but a lot of that isn't just the surgeon it's you know the, the actual device itself and then hospital fees and stays and everything like this uh, you know if you, if you are staying around in the hospital for for a week that that can get very expensive too but uh yeah i think i think it's a uh, you know in the end, we'll probably need both, uh, and and we'll probably we, we wouldn't be able to get to wherever we want to go without both. And uh, I, I really do like the paradromics approach of just putting a crap ton of uh, channels and you know let God sort them out, sort them out, you know, versus being like, oh, we have we have two channels that are working, and and like let's let's uh, figure out what's going on from there. And it's it's better to throw away to have too much data than than too little. Um, you can always throw away data, so I think that's really cool. But but uh, you know so that is that is really improving things i think and, and it's been very exciting for me to to watch them you know their their technology I, th I think it's great i think it's great but it has its pros and cons as as everything is there anything about 
the Neuralink's uh, technology plan that you think isn't feasible or that won't work out as well as people hope? Um, I think so. So they want to have that that uh, puck, you know, and and uh, uh, there, there's a problem with uh, you know, basically the leads going into this, like I guess Bluetooth device that uh, would be able to send um, you know information, everything like this out outside of the skull. So you wouldn't have to have anything going through the skin, which is of course a source of infection uh, for a lot of people. Um, I I'm a little bit skeptical about that actual portion, and you know, big part is uh, you know. If, if there's going to be migration, so if, if that thing's going to move around uh, over time, you, let's say you you ride a roller coaster or something like this, and and you, your brain's always moving. Actually, it's always kind of like jiggling around. And uh, so so how much how much would that you know would it go somewhere else? Would that puck go somewhere else? Because it didn't seem uh, too secured actually. And uh, mm-hmm. also the data processing and, and because you're taking in you're essentially I, I think they said this in Paradromics. It was like it's the equivalent of like. 2000 streams simultaneous streams of netflix or something like that you know so just ridiculous number and and we don't really have any hardware people don't really have any like server farms they have that kind of hardware that can process that kind of data but like uh you and i don't have any like personal electronics that can that can really handle this this amount of data and then they want to put it something like that inside the body and and have it battery powered and and not create a lot of heat and all this kind of stuff and then you know send send all that data out it's it's a it's a bit of a stretch i think and that's probably the thing that's going to be uh most lagging uh in my opinion the other stuff might come first but you know we'll see we'll see i I don't know so much about that i don't know so much about like asic design you know like specialized circuits specialized chips um and there could be some clever way to to do that that could uh crunch those numbers without generating a lot of heat or draining a lot of power but uh yeah, but otherwise, I mean, I think it's I think it's pretty good. But but again, you're dealing with the body and the FDA and all this kind of stuff. So the body is kind of an unknown thing, and and you get some weird stuff going on sometimes. And you don't even expect it. And then the FDA too, it's uh, it's got to protect the population, so it, it wants to make sure that everything's like very very good looking and and uh, not going to harm anybody or, or cause any issues or something like this. So, so they're they are on the the CYA cover your ass side of things so so they might be slowing down things too but uh, i don't know so there's a few things yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah the when i hear about really big channels i always think about heat sink you know like that's you know heating up your brain a little bit everyone has had like if your temperature gets even like a degree you feel that in your head and it is not comfortable and so whether it's paradromics uh, neuralink or whatever i always look at like how they handle the heat sinks cuz that'll be I mean, you could have all that power, but at a certain point, it's like like you're saying, it's kind of redundant. Um, like, just find like the ma- the local maximum, just kind of like be happy with that, versus like just like cooking the cooking the brain. Um, do you? How do you see? Uh, like deep, like I think of it like uh, the hockey puck or paradromics kind of being like generalists in a sense, where they have a bunch of uh, wires and technology to be put into the skull, and we'll be able to do a lot with it. But then at the same time, we have some that are doing deep brain stimulation, which is a very focused application of BCI or or, or, or like the vagal nerve, the uh, PCI is the, uh, the acronym I'm going to use for it. Um, how do you see them integrating? Do you think there will ever be, do you think like there'll be like one like hockey puck or a paradromics like device and they all kind of like weave together into one? Or would a person who's had significant harm in their life need several devices to maintain, uh, get back to full functionality? Yeah, it depends. I mean, I have heard about these kind of meshes that, that you'd be able to uh, almost link up a bunch of these devices that would be really cool if they could work in concert and they don't have to you know they, they can pull in different sensors sensor readings or or neural signals on on different portions and uh it'd be just that much more effective but um yeah i mean again like i think it, you're gonna need a combination of this and and different companies are gonna have different approaches and and telling you that like okay ours is the best way you should you should do the mesh or we should do one single thing or or uh you know our our thing is the most important thing. Like if you have, you know, Parkinson's person that you know is an amputee and and is obese or something like this, you got like three four things going on at once. Then you know maybe there's an order of operations and and you kind of uh, uh, you know decide like okay let's let's do this first one. That's and then maybe they're all very expensive, but that that that's the most important one. That's the best quality of life. Uh, but but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I think uh, this mesh is honestly the most futuristic sounding. And, uh, but maybe again, also the, the hardest to, to pass and, and prove that it's actually working. Like, how do you prove, uh, that, I don't know, three, three specific devices are helping and improving and not harming the patient versus four specific devices. And, and if they're in different places, I don't know, I think it'd be a regulatory nightmare, honestly. Hmm. That's fair. The, 
So a transition back to yourself, what's the what's the thing or combination of things that really you find beautiful about this space? Is it is it the you know, if you could like really dissect it down, is it the device? Is it the data? Is it uh I mean, I imagine there's like a, a, a combination of things, but I'm curious, like what are what are the elements? Do you maybe you spend time looking at like patents or the architecture of technology? I'm just kinda curious, like what do you what do you really love about it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I did like kind of an internship during my undergrad in uh, you know, nanotech and and then, you know, this this uh neurotech and and I don't know, I just I just kinda liked it. I, I feel like I was kind of a uh, uh, imprinted on me, you know, and, and uh, uh, you're kind of like uh, uh, ready for, I don't know, some kind of cool, cool new thing. And, and uh, that that's kind of what came up. But for me, what's really interesting is, I guess, the hardware side of things like the actual mm. building it and designing of electrodes and, and actual devices, uh, the code and data, it actually doesn't interest me at all. Uh, I know it's important, but, uh, you know, you couldn't get me to, to code at all. But uh, I, I really like kind of this building and design, design especially, and uh, testing testing those physical things out. And then uh, I really like the business side of things too. I think it's really interesting, and it's very important to not just be like some lone PhD student or lone graduate students working somewhere and on um, something that nobody will ever see, but actually like give it to the world, you know, and and bring it to market and and uh, you know hopefully make a lot of money. I mean, my theory is if you're uh, making money that means you're helping people for the most part and so if if uh you know if you can make a lot of money that that's uh that's good too and and uh bring something great into the world and you know be the next i don't deep brain simulator or, or pacemaker or something like this i think that'd be great yeah is there um is there a design that you do think is be i, I don't know the phraseology you're, you're the, in terms of like how you think of things do you see a design the brain simulation the paradromic chip or whatever that exists do you see it as beautiful or like what how do you, how would how do you describe the feeling when you're looking at it and you're breaking it apart? Is it beauty? Is it is it elegance? Like how do, how do you describe it? And it, like kind of like a meta way. I'm kind of like examining you a little. Yeah, I I think elegance would be maybe mm. the most uh, apt uh, descriptor. But but I I think clever also. And and a lot mm. of times to me, clever also means like simple, but like simple in a way that like encompasses a lot of things. And and you know maybe you have like one design feature uh, that you shaped it a certain way. And that actually affects like four or five things. And it's like, oh, wow, by doing that that shape, for example, then we we saved a lot of issues with this and this and this. And so I think that's really uh, good. So so yeah, elegant and clever to me is like, that's that's the perfect, that's the perfect combination. Do you, do you see those a lot in this space or is it like a rare event, like once a month, once a quarter that you see something clever like that? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, a lot of the stuff is, is pretty, uh, basic, I would say. And, and there's not mm. anything that I'd be like, uh, it's maybe uninspired, but like, it's also based on limitations of, you know, what you can do. And so you can't be, you know, having cool swoops and stuff like this on, on something if you don't have the capability to make it. Uh, but, but, uh, yeah, I would say it's a, it's a more rare thing. And once in a while I do see something that's like, wow, this is, this is really nice. And, uh, but, but yeah, it depends. What was uh what was one of them for the last like six or so months or when was the last time? What was it? Yeah, so there's uh there's some cool, I don't know, like three dimensional um uh electrodes that use uh you know novel materials. I don't know how deep in the weeds you want to get, but uh Go you know, deep. I thought that was as long as you're excited <laughs> about it, I want to hear about it. Yeah, so uh basically there's a material called liquid crystal polymer, and this is something that mm -hmm. they use in um electronics a lot and electronics packaging. So whenever you see like a, a chip, like one of those like little bug looking things, uh that that's what it's coded in. And uh, you know, it's it's really cool. It's a it's very it's biocompatible and it's it's very resilient against, you know, chemical attacks. And that's exactly what your body's trying to do is is chemically attack it. And uh so you know, you can do some really cool like three-dimensional um shapes with this material. And uh, I don't know. I just think it's it's really clever. You can you can take advantage of a lot of cool um, features with it. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that's been that's been uh, really interesting. What what's the benefit of the customization and three D shapes? Yeah. So okay. So uh, I guess I guess uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the specific application of it. I mean, so so that's the thing is like different applications, you know, brain computer interfaces, mm -hmm. you know, you're gonna have different design compared to peripheral nerves compared to something else. This one was actually a cornea implant and so into the eye. And so you're you're basically reading from the nerve signals, you know, the nerves that are at the back of the eye. And uh so you basically want to shape it the same shape as the eye, because you don't want to have like flat 
planar, you know, kind of discs and, and, or have a bunch of them or something like this. So, so if you can like kind of mold it, it's a, it's a really clever way to, uh, uh, make sure that you get into as much contact as possible. And, uh, I don't know, just the way that they do it is, is really interesting. So again, I'm mechanical engineering by training. So we were doing a lot of like dies and, and presses and, and kind of like forming of, of like metal. So it's kind of, it's kind of going back to that a little bit and, and, uh, you know, bringing together all these fields that, that you might not even, um, you know, think about kind of almost like, you know, making a, like a steel bowl and uh, making a neurotechnology kind of have, might have the same uh, fundamental, you know, principles behind them. Do you have like a Tony Stark DIY lab? I mean, you're, I think you're in a lab as well. So you might be able to just play with these things a lot, but uh, do you, do you have a lab that you get to just experiment and try new things like this a lot? No, I don't. I mean, one day I, I would love to. Uh, a lot of this stuff is really expensive. So, you know, even yeah, stuff imagine. that you wouldn't think is, you know, it'd be like, oh, uh, I need this pump and like pumps. How much should pumps cost? Oh, yeah, 40, 50 bucks or something like this. No, like more like a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks or something like this. And and you got to get the special one that does this and this. And and so a lot of this stuff, you know, to get a good lab, I think you'd need a, at least $20,000 and depends what you're doing, of course. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that is a dream. And, and I, I have lots of, non-neurotechnology related ideas that that uh i want to to you know do but i also need help doing it you know so a lot of times it, it is a little bit like i need to find somebody that's like an expert in it or that could help me out and uh, i could fund it right now i don't have so much disposable income to like you know set up some experiments some crazy idea experiments uh but but you know definitely one day that is it is a dream of mine well i hope you uh, achieve it i know one thing that you do a lot is you you take what you've learned and you give back to other people i think it's in your mastermind groups. I know we wanted to talk about that a little bit. So could you set the table with what what is what are these mastermind groups and um you know what did you want to give to people in making them? Yeah, for sure. Uh so basically with the the Neural Implant podcast, uh I got to know a lot of people. I think I've had more than 200 guests on 200 episodes and and uh got to know a lot of uh consultants and and companies and and actually in conversations with these uh these companies the the CEOs of these companies I, I was seeing like wow they don't know. Like I know, I can I can help them. I could help them. You know, with a lot of their problems, they're they're looking for you know X person or, or advice on this kind of thing, and I could I could link them up. And so I started doing this. I started doing actually during during the pandemic, uh, was doing these uh, masterminds or kind of these peer support groups for uh, neurotechnology executives. So it was, it was the leaders of these companies, and you know it's kind of a lonely position for them a lot of times, and and they have to put on a brave face to employees and to investors and and sometimes they they don't know you know some things and, and uh, they don't really know who to ask either and maybe there's a cool conference that comes along once in a while that that uh, they they can find out some answers but you know what do you do in, in between that space and especially during covid it was things were shut down we, they didn't really know when when the next time was that they'd be able to find out some some information about something so basically i put these two groups of people together and and um we would meet with the executives regularly and and kind of develop a rapport a good relationship between all of us we were a small group four to six people and so we'd get to know each other very well and each other's trials and tribulations and and uh, give each other advice be like oh you know one one guy might be like oh i i did the same thing you know a year ago and and this is what i would recommend or or don't use these guys these guys will you know waste your time or or uh, you know so, so it's a nice way to get trusted advice and then i would bring on consultants too to uh, have them give advice and and you know try to sell their services but at the same time give some free value and then you know if the people liked them if the executives liked them they could hire them if not then not uh but it was it was very valuable so i saw this kind of uh it's a connector role you know and, and not a lot of people have a public rolodex with you know over 200 200 names on there and uh so so there's not so many people that can do this and and also have the time and willingness to do this because that's that's another thing. It's quite time intensive too. So, uh, yeah, I I love it. It's, it's a lot of fun and and uh, I put it on pause for a little bit the the mastermind, but I really miss it and and uh, it's just a, it's just nice to know what's going on everywhere and and have your finger on the pulse of everything. So, uh, it's it's a great thing. How do you um? I think there's a, I, I do think you, uh, if I remember right, you, you, you charge for it, which makes sense because it makes people take it more seriously. Um, so then what are all the criteria? And if I'm a, a neurotech, uh, innovator about to start a company, what are like, how, how do you assess me to know I'm, I'm good for the group? Like, what do you, what do you look for? Yeah. So I, I do charge people and that, that's also, um, yeah. So people take it seriously and, and it's also a filtering mechanism. I mean, uh, I look for companies 
it's kind of I, I like to say between five and fifty employees. So not you know an idea or you know a concept mm. or maybe they have a prototype, but they've kind of already gotten funding and they're they're a little bit more established. So they've been around for a few years, something like that, and uh, maybe they have products or something like this too. So that kind of especially you know with, with the the payment that that gets rid of the the guy who just graduated and and maybe they won a business plan competition and and have twenty thousand dollars and are, are trying to get this through but but uh you know but so a little bit a little bit bigger companies that that uh, can move the needle you know if I if I give them a regulatory expert like how to get to through the FDA then that will have definite results for them uh versus sometimes with you know kind of these more seed stage ones it's, it's a little bit more difficult but I am mm-hmm. I'm thinking about expanding it but in both directions actually so kind of the higher end you know 50 plus employees or you know 50 50 million dollar plus uh company valuation and then kind of the more seed stage uh you know less than one million dollar company valuation less than five employees or something like this so um yeah it's 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 nice so I think I think everybody needs help, and and everybody, uh, you you could I, I like to say that the answer is already there, and you already know somebody who knows somebody that knows the answer to it, and you just have to find that person, and you know it's it's all been done before. You're not doing anything completely novel. You're not reinventing the wheel. So just just find that person and save yourself hundreds of hours. That makes sense. So I think well, this is a bit biased, but I think a lot of people have something where they're either very interested or they um are very passionate about it so they can make their kind of their own mastermind group about it if they just were a little bit more focused what would be your advice for someone who you know has an interest like yours to start something and maybe they haven't they don't have a podcast but maybe they're just like a leader in their their space like software engineering you know customer service you know whatever the heck they, they care about um and they want to do something like that what would be your advice to get it going yeah. So the way I did it, I mean, I, I knew, I knew a lot of people, right? Like I was in the field and I had the podcast. So I had a reason, I had an excuse to, to network with people. And I saw these two groups of people, almost, almost like a school dance, right? Like the men and the women, you know, and, and they both want dance and they both like, but they don't know who is good and, and uh, which one to trust. And like, uh, it's, it's a little bit awkward maybe too. And, and so I'm, I'm just kind of the one bringing them together. And uh, so, so I already knew those, those groups of people. So uh, for me, it was a little bit easier. It was an easier sell. Like when I came up with the concept, I was like, okay, I already have like 10 to 15 consultants that I can talk to. And then I have 10 to 15 companies that I can talk to and, and uh, just reach out to them, see who's interested. And obviously the consultants are usually more willing to do it uh, because, you know, they'd, they'd be making money and, and promoting themselves. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, uh, that, that's how I would do it. If, if you're not in such a position, I mean, it was kind of interesting for me because I wasn't very experienced. I'd never run a neurotech uh, startup. And I'd never been an executive, so it was a uh, kind of a unique situation in my case. But but usually it'd be it'd be more logical to you know be an expert in the field if you're like a, a plumber or something like this. You've been plumbing for a decade or something like this, and uh, you, you know some people in the field, and you you could even start meetings and, and have it be free, and uh, then eventually people might uh, understand the value and, and see that it's that it's worthwhile. So um, yeah, I think that could be good, and and honestly. Uh, it's amazing. I, I'm always amazed how much value they got out of it, and then like how little I spoke. And uh, and sometimes, sometimes it, it'd just be a sentence or an idea or something like this, and that could make the whole difference. Like for the entire year, that would literally pay for itself and and everything for the whole year. Uh, so it's amazing, like how little is needed sometimes. Makes sense. And then you just run it through Zoom. Very simple setup. Yeah. Exactly. Do you have like a Slack channel for them or anything, or you it just Zoom like every thirty days or so? Yeah, so we were doing Zoom every two weeks, um, and I originally wanted to do a Slack channel, but they they were saying they were slacked out, so that they didn't want to do that. So That's we fair. just did we just did email, and uh, for the most part, it worked out well. It wasn't we didn't you know send too many emails. Maybe once in a while, we'd be like, oh, this is what we this is the article that we talked about, or you know, here's an introduction to this and this person. So, I mean, including like not including reminder emails of like, hey, the the Zoom thing's starting. I would say. 10 emails a month or something like this uh, mm. for the whole group. So it wasn't spamming them or anything like this. And, you know, everybody's busy and, and, you know, they're, they're running companies that have like 30 people, you know, so they can't, they can't be talking to you every day, but, but uh, it was, it was good. It, it was, it was very nice. It sounds powerful. Uh, leading, leading with this, like mastermind the future, what do you see the next five years being like for this space? Or peripheral or, the, or brain? Or for neurotech? Uh, neurotech. 
Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's going to be interesting, and it's going to expand a lot. We didn't really talk about, or we did. Do we talk about this on air? The 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 investment uh, going into the field recently, and so you know, twenty twenty one was like a record year, uh, also because of you know what was going on with central bank and low interest rates and everything like this. People wanted to put their money into safe somewhere safe, but uh, we'll be seeing the fruits of all these investments, which is like record investments into neurotech companies. Uh, hopefully, within the next five years, there's some really promising companies out there, and I think it's just going to get more and more mainstream. People are not going to be like, "What? You know, what are you talking about?" It's going to be almost like a pacemaker, like, "Oh, I've heard about that," or "I know somebody that has that." Uh, maybe some signs will start popping up and be like, "Oh, you can't use this." Um, scanner at the airport if you have a you know a deep brain stimulator or you know some kind of neurotech device and it'll be a little bit more normalized um but it is a it is a slow growing thing it's not like computers where it doubles every year and a half uh where you know our smartphones are getting much much more amazing but uh it'll be it'll be slow growth and and maybe yeah maybe in five years maybe a doubling by then so uh not nothing nothing too crazy but uh slowly get into the public consciousness a little bit more so Leyden's law of neuro neurotech would be every five years it doubles. Yeah, yeah. So actually, there there is one. Uh, it, it was already done. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I was scooped. I was scooped uh, five years before uh, before this conversation. Uh, this is the Stevenson's law, and so it's basically a doubling of the number of channels in a, mm. a neurotech device uh, every seven years. So it's uh, it's much slower than than Moore's law, which is what every one and a half years or two years. And so, uh, but the, but there is a doubling. So so there is kind of like this uh, uh, light at the end of the tunnel of like, okay, at some point we're going to get really, really amazing results on everything. Hey, uh, this actually reminded me of a question I wanted to ask you earlier. Um, when it comes to like a Neuralink or Paradromics that is like in my mind, a little bit more service level versus like something that would have affect Parkinson's is, are they, are they still able with the right technology and software able to stimulate in your mind, the like deep brain stimulation, or do you need deeper electrodes to ensure that you're hitting those areas? Right. Uh, what do you say? So, so with like a pair of or something like this? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's just, it's so deep. It's, it's literally like okay. centimeters long. It's like five, six centimeters. And, and none of these other, um, probes at this point do that. Uh, I know paradromics would not be able to do that. Uh, that being said, I do think a Neuralink could do something like that. There's no reason they couldn't. It's really just a question of lengthening their threads. And you know the needle that they use to sew it in could be bigger and more robust and everything like this. And that's kind of my pet theory is, is this is the actual, um, I guess, secret sauce is, is how uh, Neuralink is going to make money, is they're going to go eat uh, Medtronic's lunch with uh, with these kind of more deep brain stimulation uh, things and kind of like Starlink is it's like oh we're gonna go to the we're gonna go to Mars but that's not really the business plan the business plan is to set up send up you know a uh, bunch of satellites and sell people internet in places that they wouldn't be able to get internet um, with with Starlink so I think that's that's kind of my Neuralink version of Starlink <laughs> mm -hmm. that makes sense um, so then. There, there was this like keystone thing I wanted to ask you. I've been reading more about just the effects of stem cells. Like it's, it feels like it's starting to catch up to the potential of what exists. And one of the things that really uh, interested me about BCI is and actually as I've learned and listened to you talk about peripheral um, computer interfaces, like that sounds really, really exciting as well. Um, but how do you see, like who do you think is going to win the race to giving people uh, control over their bodies again? like the stem cells that are giving people the ability to walk now or um, the brain computer interfaces that are coming out? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't follow the the stem cell uh, mm. field that much, so I don't, I don't really know much about it. And uh, you know, biology and everything like this, uh, it, I understand it. It doesn't, I don't, I don't, it's not, it doesn't fascinate me that much, you know, the stem cells and everything like this, but I have heard about, you know, amazing things that are, that are being done and, and great progress. Um, and then, I think stem cells, it's it's difficult too because you almost have like a foreign foreign biological system, uh, so th that can be a little bit difficult regulatory wise, and and uh, I I don't know I mean uh, maybe in the end it will be a combination of the two, and and uh, you can repair things to an extent, uh, but maybe maybe not you know so uh, I have heard about a lot of uh neurotech devices brain computer interfaces that have stem cells implanted in uh they have like a gel layer or something like this so it's seeded with um uh stem cells and the results of that were not 
amazing. Uh, they're they're okay, I guess. Uh, better better than you know the standard, but not like so much better that everybody's you know immediately rushing to it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it would be cool. I, I think that the big question is like the source of stem cells. Where do you get them and, and get them in the by the pound, pretty much? Yeah, makes sense. Uh, in one of your talks, I heard you dis- discuss on how right now we're more like stop signals, like a go stop in terms of like what we can regulate in the brain. And eventually we're going to have the point where there's, like we can see the different cells, et cetera. What do you, what do you think is the limiting factor on differentiating cells and, and action electrode types in the brain? Is it, is it channels? Is it a sensor? Like our sensors aren't strong enough, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think, I think a big, a big part. So I think there's there's multiple layers to it, right? So mm. so right now it's a question of channels, you know. So uh, a lot of our probes, you know, deep brain simulation as an example, they have you know 16 channels, and you're trying to almost like play a, a piano symphony, uh, you know, wearing gloves or, or or even like using your your uh, forearms or something like this. And there's only so refined or, or so so good that you can do that even if you're even if you're really good so more channels does allow that like kind of more um you know being able to hit individual notes and and not hit the other ones hit hit the right notes and not hit the wrong notes mm-hmm. um so i think that's kind of where we're at right now but there's also the question of cell types so there are you know excitatory neurons inhibitory neurons and like hundreds of different other neurons i, I had a uh podcast episode with a you know retinal expert and, and he's saying like you know there's there's dozens of of types of the actual neurons in the retina and i think we're gonna fi- he was saying i think we're gonna find out that it's the same way in the brain so there might be like 12 different types or uh 15 different types of actual neurons and you know you can't you can't stimulate them all because it just you know uh, it, it creates chaos. It's almost like there's different types of cars on the street, you know. And and if you have a bunch of uh, fire trucks going one way, and and you know suddenly the fire trucks have to go through. But if you just have throw all the cars on the road at the same time, then then you kind of get chaos. But you know maybe you can get maybe you need to have only the fire trucks go through at a certain time, and uh, so you can control that. So so there's like a cell type controllability, and unfortunately. With electricity and stimulation, uh, it's very difficult to uh, be very selective about that. So uh, something that's very promising right now is uh, called optogenetics, and you can basically uh, transfect a nerve uh, to react to light uh, and to to be stimulated with light. And uh, you, you can be specific about which types of of neurons uh, get this too. So excitatory, or you know, you get the fire truck neuron only only responding to green light, and another one to red light. And so uh, you get this kind of green light red light game, and and uh, maybe a little bit more, a little bit more specific. So uh, those are the kind of the two layers that I see is mm-hmm. like you, you have the channel number, and then later the the, the cell type. That makes sense. Is there um there's there's a startup that. Lou, I think it was like Lou Jepsen or something that's working with light, right? In brain computer interface. I don't know if there's a uh, multiple groups working on light regulation and cells and differentiation in that way. I don't know if there's other hidden gems like that out there. Yeah, I, I don't follow this field as much. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I like the electrical stimulation side of things. But uh, yeah. yeah, there are a lot of startups and a lot of labs working on this. And, uh, you know, the, the issue right now is uh, FDA approval you know basically you have to put a virus in and transfect the um the cells to you know express this protein and then that protein you know changes the the functioning of the cells so you know that's kind of a it's it hasn't been done before it hasn't this kind of thing hasn't been approved before by the fda and it's kind of a big ask and, and if you if you were to sell that try to sell that to the, you know the average person on the street or in a clinic or something like this then they they might be quite skeptical about it so um i think that's the big hurdle at this point but i have also heard that uh this this could be overcome uh pretty soon and that that maybe the fda is looking taking uh, a closer look at something like that are there um fda experts in uh brain computer interfaces that you you know lean on or or, or talk to like i don't know if they have like a newsletter or something for people who are like kind of nerdy on these things yeah i don't know about a newsletter uh the people that i've heard really good things about is uh micra which is mcra and uh, they they have a lot of good people who formerly worked at the FDA, and so they have you know insider knowledge about what they're looking for and everything like this. And so uh, that's that's a company that's a consultancy that that I really like, and uh, that's actually one of the the ones I, I really like to to lean on with the um, the mastermind because uh, the the members really love really love those guys. Makes sense. Um, so here's a I'm going to differentiate into more personal questions just now. 
Um, so I've been asking this question to people because I, I I used to think that like there was like one like more or less like one or two channels for like what happiness means to people, but apparently like there's a it's quite a kaleidoscope what happiness means to people. So I'm curious when you think of happiness, um, how do you describe it? Like what does it mean to you? I think it's like being who you're meant to be or kind of I, I don't know like like following following your path I guess like mm -hmm. like your destiny or something like this and you know I, I I do believe in destiny or I do believe in in kind of like a uh you're built a certain way and it'd almost be like a uh so I'm a duck farmer I have ducks and um they're just so happy in the water, you know, and they need it. Like, honestly, they'll, they'll die if they don't get enough water, uh, not just for drinking, but they need, they need open bodies of water, but they're also just really happy in it. And, and that's, that's kind of, you know, I think that's happiness is like doing the thing that you really like and, and are almost built for and almost being like a duck in water where you, uh, you're just kind of in your natural place, you know, and, and, so and there's all different types of people. So you could be lazy on a beach or, or building something or, you know, fixing up a hot rod or something like this. So whatever, whatever makes you happy. Yeah. And how, how well, do you remember the moment when you knew that neurotech was going to be that for you? Was it just like working in a lab on the chips back in, I don't know, like Idaho or some Northwestern state? Yeah, it was, I think it was when I graduated. So I, I went to, I went to Germany to do my master's and uh, I finished and I was looking for jobs there and I really wanted to stay in Germany and I was looking for jobs and, and it was basically, uh, nothing really looked good to me and nothing really caught my attention. Like, yeah, I want to spend a few years doing this. Um, and I didn't need the money that much. Like, uh, yeah, I was, I was short on money, but like, I wasn't starving or anything like this. So I, I wasn't about to, to take, uh, anything on, but, um, yeah, it was pretty much then Then I'm like, okay, well, I think, I think I need to, uh, get back into this brain computer interface stuff because that's the only thing that's kept my attention for the last few years. And I guess I'm, you know, I have lots of ideas, but there, there are some kind of over uh, underlying, you know, uh, themes in, in my ideas and, and uh, some things that some ideas that linger for, for many years. And uh, I was like, well, I think I need to go into the PhD because I want to do research. I want to invent something. And I also don't want to just, uh, you know, be a, a cog in a machine. I want to like create something. I want to build something uh, for myself. And so, yeah, that, that's pretty much, that's pretty much when it happened. And, and uh, that was, uh, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a moment. That was actually, that was a period of about two months, uh, three months mm. where I was like figuring this out and, and realizing for this, uh, this for myself. So um, yeah, sometimes it's kind of these slow realizations. Yeah. I think sometimes people feel like there needs to be an aha moment or something where in most times it's like a slow uh, increase in temperature, kind of like the frog story, where then you slowly get cooked and you change to something else. Um, do you um, do you seek actualization at all in what you're doing, like to be the best? I guess in, in, similarly to what how you described happiness, it sounds like actualization, like to being yourself and doing what you want to be doing. Which, if like you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, is like actualization. Um, yeah, is that? Yeah, I I, I don't really. I guess I don't really think about what that word means, and and uh, mm. it's it's kind of uh, it, it seems it seems unattainable, you know, and and that's yeah. like okay, self actualization. Like when I was explained to me, it was like oh okay, like only a few people have ever attained that. That's like the the pinnacle of being. Um, but I mean, as for as for trying to be the best, uh, not necessarily. I, I'm actually kind of indifferent to that, but but I realize that I'm in such a small field or it's such a niche. Uh, and this is again, what I realized when I was looking for jobs in, in Germany is like, man, I'm in such a niche that there's like a few dozen people that are doing this in the world and exactly what I'm doing in the, in the exact niche. And, uh, so, you know, and then everybody has their different approaches. So yeah, you're going to be probably the best at something and, uh, you, you have like a perfect approach in, in certain ways. So in, in a certain aspect. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's really just following happiness and that kind of having that as you know your your north star the the guide that's that's taking you somewhere and and uh you know it's also but it's like a long-term happiness it's not like cocaine you know happiness it's like kind of uh what what makes you feel fulfilled i guess so yeah maybe the self-actualization and and yeah right now it feels great like it's it's kind of i still feel kind of in the training uh, aspect of things. I'm still being trained. Obviously the PhD is kind of a, uh, a very formal training to, uh, to be like a scientist. Uh, um, yeah, but, but I definitely feel like I'm on the right path. So it feels good.
Yeah, congrats. That's a, that's amazing, especially since I think a lot of people in our age bracket kind of feel like they... I mean, there's a sizable section that just feel like they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and I always recommend people just do the Ben Franklin thing where they sample out a bunch of stuff. Um, looking back on those two months, was there anything that made it easier for you to slot in that you'd recommend other people kind of look out for if they're looking to find their way? Yeah, I mean, I think with, with the two months of me trying to figure out like what I want to do, like a lot of times you have an idea or you, you may even have like two separate ideas or opposite ideas and, but you're trying to get them to fit or you're trying to like, you're, you're trying to get a few different things to, to work out. And, and yeah, sometimes, sometimes there's a solution, you know, sometimes there, there can be a way uh, to, to move forward, but uh, I guess, yeah, just keep chewing on it. I think a big thing is, is talking to people. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you kind of get in a loop in your head, but it's nice to have this outside uh, perspective and also a way to introduce new information, new data into your loop that you can, you know, then, then cycle through uh, on your own. But it's, it's nice to talk to people and, and, you know, get their perspectives and, and uh, advice and everything like this. Not that you have to take it, you know, but, but it is, it is nice to, uh, you know, get new data, uh, put into the system. Makes sense. Uh, is there anything you're currently reading? Yeah. So I was, uh, uh, I, I don't even know what book I'm reading on the Kindle right now. Apparently it's not very interesting, but I was reading one. I, I finished it. I used to read. I, so, so when I was in Germany, I read a uh, hundred books a year for a few years. It was, it was, it was pretty crazy. I think this last year I only did like 15. So it's, it's much less. Um, I don't know. It's just not gripping me as much, but there was one about, uh, long-term capital management. Uh, did you hear about this? Do you, do you know about this? No, what is it? So long-term capital management was a hedge fund in uh, in the 90s. I think it existed from like 96 to 99. And uh, it was kind of this this mathematicians, it, it was put together by like mathematicians and, you know, quants, quant, uh, quantifiers or whatever, like the, the analysts of, yeah. of Wall Street. And this was like their first like big hurrah, everything up until that point, uh, hedge funds were kind of like gut-based things like, oh, I, I believe this is going to go this way. But these guys actually used numbers and and uh, math and like complicated stuff. Nobody understood what they were doing. Um, and then they leveraged, they were leveraged out out the wazoo and and uh they they had so much uh money you know uh in bonds and everything like this anyways there was a, a russian default of like their currency and it completely it crashed their um it crashed their company and it went they had like a trillion dollars under management or something like this and it went down to zero in like a month or two and wow. it was it was going to take down the whole like financial sector and a bunch of banks had to bail them out and uh, even like the government and everything like this, it was just, just like a train wreck. And it was so interesting to read. And and like, cause, cause they had hubris. They were very proud of themselves. Like, and they, they wouldn't even talk to anybody else. Cause they're like, Oh, we're smarter. We're mathematicians. You guys don't even understand what we're talking about. Uh, and then like complicate, making things more complicating uh, more complicated. Um, and then, yeah, just completely crash and burn. And, uh, and a lot of that actually, so that was like 99, like I said about that time, but, uh, one of the companies didn't play ball. Uh, I can't remember who it was. They kind of pulled out and they left everybody hanging. And, and so everybody else lost like, I don't know, $250 million extra compared, you know, cause, cause they, they all put like, okay, we're going to lose money. Let's put in $250, $250 million each. And, uh, let, let's save this. And, and, you know, we won't, we won't like crash and burn with them. Um, and they were the ones that didn't play ball. And uh, then in the 2008 uh, crisis, those were the only ones, I can't remember who it was, um, maybe Bear Stearns or something like this. That was the one that collapsed. So that was that was the one that the other bankers let collapse uh, because mm. they, they kind of had this long memory maybe. And so, yeah, it was crazy like how this, this crazy hedge fund later was able to uh, have effects a decade later. But yeah, it was, it was fascinating because it was just, it's, it's a, it's a train wreck, you know, and, and, and yeah they're literally going like day by day. And it's like, okay. And then they had this meeting and, you know, it's, and then they lost $50 million on this day on one day. <laughs> and then, you know, another $200 million this weekend. It was like, whoa, this is crazy. So yeah, that, that was a really cool book. And it's called the, what, what again? Oh God, I can't remember. I'll have to, I'll have to look this up one second. Uh, right. I'll just cut out the dead space. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Oh, when genius failed, uh, the rise, um, I don't know, the rise and fall of long-term capital management. It was mm -hmm. really good. 
Sweet. Well, check it out. I think a book related to that topic would be like the black swan for you. It's just, this is basically what they're talking about in terms of like not seeing something coming. Well, and I think that's what it's based off of. Uh, oh, okay. I, I've, I've read uh, Black Swan, and uh, I think Anti-Fragile is is also a, a really good book for by Nassantella. But but that's basically what he's writing about, and and hmm. that is what popularized all this stuff. This long tail, um, you know, Black Swan events, and that's what long term capital management was saying is like, oh, this is like a one in a thousand year thing. But they were assuming a different statistical probability curve and all this kind of stuff, and and essentially looking at it like a computer. Versus the market is an emotional thing run by emotional people. And so, yeah, that that's not something that was one in a thousand years. Uh, it's more like one in 10 years. And and yeah, those guys lasted about four years. So it's about right on par with how long <laughs> they should have survived. Makes sense. Um, is there, uh, outside of BCI, is there anything that's holding your attention? Like anything that uh, you're learning about? Yeah, I mean, my my family does uh, investing, so like uh, flipping houses and stuff like this. So uh, I'm getting into Airbnbs, and that, that's a lot of fun. Uh, I bought like a a trailer and put it on my property, and and like uh, you know renting it out and everything like this. So I don't know, this, this is kind of fun, it, and it's it's a nice way to train your like entrepreneurial slash like business minded brain uh, in a nice way, and you, know, you make money too, so it's nice. But uh, yeah, that that's been fun, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Neurotech is kind of uh, consuming a lot of my time nowadays. So, but it's it's good. I, I like it. Are you um Are you one of the Airbnb hosts that has like? Apparently, there's a lot of them that have like crazy stipulations. Like they have to clean up, do the dishes, like walk the dog. Like, have you heard of these things? I, I have heard. I, I heard some like uh, I've seen some like joke videos about that. Like mm. where you know in a hotel you can like almost like leave poop smeared on the walls or something like this and, and it is completely fine but yeah like uh you move like one plant or something like this uh plant branch or something like this then a tree branch then then yeah um no no i i think i'll be i think i'll be one of the, the more chill ones the more lenient ones that's good um and then the last question is uh you, do you have a newsletter we know you have a podcast um what are some things you want to leave us with anything that we can do to keep up with Layden and his journey of neurotech discovery yeah so i think the biggest thing is you know subscribing to the podcast and listening in and and uh you know if, if you find a guest that you like then then do that and then share it you know if you want to share it uh i am thinking about putting together actually i want to talk i, I guess this will be interesting to talk about uh i, I want to put together like a slack channel for it uh for for the podcast and you know that way i could even be like oh i'm having this and this person on who what, what questions should i ask because i have talked to some you know, fans at, at conferences and everything like this. And they're like, oh, you didn't ask this question of this person. Like, well, you know, I didn't know. Or uh, like, I there's only so deep that I can go for for each uh, for each guest. So, uh, but I, I was thinking something like that could be cool. And then maybe do giveaways and everything like this. So yeah, what, how do you how do you keep in contact? Because I don't want to do, I don't want to do email newsletter, but like a Slack channel might be fun and you can share memes and everything like this. So yeah, what do you think about that? I think it'd be interesting if you have enough people who are excited for it. Um... It might be another thing that you have to manage, though, in case people are starting to post whatever someone signs up and they don't care. It might make more sense to make it like a like have like a Patreon and where like the patrons get in. That way, there's some sense of a selection bias there in terms of like who's in, like how committed they are. Um, and then it, like it, it, it would be then a little bit more worth their, your time if there are problems, because um, a community at a certain size is like a baby that you have to water and take care of and. You know, hear the hear the flags of people, you know, posting about Trump or this election or that election and peaches or something. I don't know. Um, so there's there's upside definitely in terms of like making a community and that's what everyone should be doing um, in one form or another. So I like that you're going in that direction. I have a basic newsletter. Honestly, I could be doing better on this as well. Um, but if I were to do it, and if I was thinking about doing it, I would probably find a way to, you know, raise the bar a little bit in terms of like having like a, a pay in so that people are taking it seriously. And then um, at the same time, have a very strict you uh content moderation in terms of like you know one one strike and then you're banned so that other people don't have to really be affected by it too much um then again like you're in the academic academia so you probably have a much better uh, uh filter for handling situations like that than me i just like making it very clear so it's an even playing field for everybody but i think it's powerful it's a very powerful concept yeah, I think it'd be cool. Because uh, yeah, with the newsletter, it's it's basically again you're you're talking, you're speaking yeah. in a void. But this is like more two way conversations. And uh, I don't know. I'm not too worried about uh, 
um, you know, I guess spam posts and, and, you know, trolls and everything like this. I don't think it'll be that big. Um, I don't think it'll be, you know, hundreds of people, you know, trying to have a conversation simultaneously. Uh, but, but yeah, that, that is a good way to do that. You know, at some point is, is, uh, if it does get unruly, then, um, then you can have kind of a, a paid version. Uh, there, there is one Slack channel, uh, from a company called Neurotech X and, uh, it's, it's more like general BCI and everything like this. But it's it's got like six thousand people in it or something like this, and it's just it's just a lot to follow, and and so um, you know something like that. If it, if it ever got if mine ever got to that size, I might have like a um, you know a paid version that that maybe only has a few hundred people, and then that way you can actually manage manage this and follow all the all the conversations every day. That makes sense. Yeah, you know if you if it gets to a point where it's too much, there was a person who uh, I was advising who was having like. They had a lot of opportunity and they didn't know how to like cipher it down. And so I was like, so you have a lot of people coming in and you're already making a lot of money. Just charge for your your consultations. Like don't make it like a free meeting. And then like the people who want to talk to you just have it itself. <laughs> you just have a supply and demand problem. Just like, you know, change the price and see what happens. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah for sure. I think that's a good way to do it. Thank you for joining us today with the Learn With Lowell show. Check us out at learnwithlowell.com. Anywhere podcasts can be found, subscribe, tell me what you thought of this episode. Check us out on YouTube in particular. It's a new thing I'm doing. Uh, Timestamps and links are in the show notes. Thank you for coming. And I hope everyone, every one of you found something today that you're curious about to learn more about. And you'll go out and be curious and learn something new. Thank you and have a great rest of your day.